We're going to be continuing, if you're a regular to the church, you'll know that we're continuing um, our series called Rooted in Jesus, which is all based on the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, if you could turn to that, and that is not, the, that's not even my PowerPoint. I don't know where you got that from. I'm looking at Colossians chapter 1, and we're just going to cover three verses, verses 21 to 23. Now, before we get to that, I wonder if you were asked to use one word to describe your faith, what one word would you use? You can't use the word Jesus, okay? Maybe you're thinking of the word grace or forgiveness, or maybe it's this word which we're going to look in a lot of detail about today, and the word that I would use, which I think really encapsulates what our faith is all about, which is the word reconciliation. And it's a word that every now and then pops up to really pinpoint what it is that we need to see in a public situation, a public spectacle. And I'm thinking at the moment, an obvious one between two brothers and I don't know if you've got your copy of Spare. I don't know if you've been watching uh, Harry and Meghan on Netflix. I'm not sure of your opinion about uh, the royal family and all that's happened there. But time and time again, you're hearing the commentators say, somehow we need reconciliation. And in our passage this morning, Paul gives us a wonderful, rich definition of what Christian reconciliation is all about. And really from verses 15 uh, to the bit I'm getting to today, uh, theologians would describe this bit as potentially a hymn that may have been sung in the early church. And in a few sentences, Paul describes the supremacy of Jesus over all of creation, that he rules and reigns over all authorities and powers and dominions and rulers. And he's not only Lord of all, he's not only the creator of all, but he's actually reconciling all things to himself. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? And, and of course, as we're hearing that, we might be thinking, as I'm sure the church were in Colossae at this time, thinking, well, that's great to know he's doing that on a grand scale, but what about me? What about my individual relationship with God? And at this point, this is where Paul turns and says to so the church in Colossae, come and see God's case in point. Come and look at your own life. And he says this in verse 21 onward. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So what is 
reconciliation. What is Christian reconciliation? Well, it's not simply God extending an olive branch. It is something that can only be discovered in the cross. And so we're going to look at three things about how the cross reconciles us to God. So the first thing, if we could go to the next slide and just look particularly at verse 22. The first thing we see about how the cross reconciles us is that through the cross, enemies become God. You need to go on the 9.30 service. That's where the PowerPoint is. I didn't put it on the 11.15. So if you go on the 9.30, you'll see through the cross, enemies become friends. Wonder what you think about this description of your life before Jesus. Does this resonate with you? You were once alienated from God. In your mind, God was basically an enemy, and you were evil in your behavior. Now, you might think of the church back then and knowing all the kind of weird pagan stuff that was going on, idolatry. You might be thinking, yeah, okay, maybe that describes them, but I've been going to church for quite a long time. I would, maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe you feel a bit like Theresa May, who said, you know, that the worst thing she ever did was run through, was it a cabbage patch or a field of whatever? You know, you may think you're a particularly okay person. But what is all this about? What does it mean being at one point an enemy of God? This word, interesting phrase here, that being alienated from God. If you ever wondered if aliens were in the Bible, you can now see that they are. And they appear quite a lot. Um, and this phrase is helpful because, you know, aliens are from another planet. And particularly in America, when there's a lot of negativity about immigration, people will use the phrase, what will they say? They'll say illegal aliens, trying to use this narrative to say people out there who aren't like us, they're foreign to us, they don't follow our customs and patterns, their way of life is alien to us. And Paul is meaning in this word, it literally can be translated, alienated can mean transferred to another owner. Paul's saying you were created in the wonderful, glorious image of God, and yet you have decided to trade that in to live under the leadership of the world, the devil, and the flesh. Our minds are hostile to God, perhaps not necessarily because we overtly said that we hated God, but we just totally blanked him. We decided willfully to ignore God and live for ourselves and our selfish needs, our sinful needs, and nothing else. One illustration I like to use, which you'll have to forgive me because I've been here about three years now and I'm running out of my illustrations. I'm kind of working through a catalogue of three years. And, and, uh, but one thing I always find so helpful with is just thinking, you know, we've got the newcomers lunch today and just imagine if you hosted a really important party where you're inviting people into your flat, into your house, and you were really wanting them to, to feel welcome at, and at home. And for them to enjoy your house and, and food together. And so the day comes, you're excited, you've spent all the day preparing a lovely meal and preparing the house. And you get a knock on the door and you open the door 
and the person just marches right past you, goes into your living room and starts eating all your food. And really, from that, you're just taken aback. You're a bit shocked. And then another guest comes, they knock on the door, and they also push past you. And this happens again and again. People decide to just go up to your bedroom, and everything is getting trashed, and no one is acknowledging you. And it gets so full of people that eventually you just leave the house, and you sit in the back garden on the doorstep, weeping. And that, I think, somewhat begins to describe God's feelings of creating a wonderful world to be enjoyed together and where we essentially have just got on with life for ourselves with no acknowledgement of God. It's not that we declared, I hate you, God. We just were doing that by just ignoring God, by living our lives for ourselves. It's interesting as I've been reading uh, through the Bible uh, as beginning of a new year and get into Genesis 6 and where it says the Lord saw that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is in the time of Noah and then obviously the flood happens and you cross-reference that and you think what was the evilness, what was the wickedness going on? Well there's a few things but it's interesting that Jesus when he talks about this he says for in the days before the flood what were people doing that was so wicked and horrible? How awful would things become? He says people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words People were just getting on with their lives with no acknowledgement of the God who had created them. Why am I laying this out so bleakly and and labouring this point? Well, some of you may have had a cold or a cough recently and um, you take a bit of day nurse, you have a bit of Lemsip, I recommend those things, and then maybe after a couple of days you feel a lot better. And the chances are you're probably not jumping for joy as a result of that. You're not shouting from the top of your roof out of the windows that you've been miraculously healed from a cold. But let me tell you, if you have been diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer, and then you're able to receive some treatment for that cancer, and you find, amazingly, that the cancer has ended, that you're completely restored. I put it to you, would you then be doing a bit of rejoicing? Would you then be quite joyful? Would you then want to be calling up lots of people and to tell them, the good news. You see, before we can understand how good God is, we do actually need to understand just the plight of our sin, that we were separated, that we didn't want God, and the vicious cycle of being numb in our mind, meaning we're numb in our heart and we're evil in our actions, and really left to our own devices, things would have been a complete, utter mess. I wonder how often Do we ponder our life before Jesus? How often are we brought perhaps to tears before the presence of God Almighty because of the wonderful fact that he has saved us from such a terrible position? How often are we allowing ourselves as individuals to be gripped by this truth? We'll look at the first half of verse 22 because, of course, here comes the good news. He says, but now... 
Jesus has reconciled. Now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. How does God make enemies his friends? Well, through a historic event. Jesus physically dies for us. And it's important that feature, talking about the physical um, death, because for Paul, he was talking to a people that were quite influenced by what's known as Gnostic thinking, where the matter, the body, was bad, and it was all about the spiritual. And a people that believed that you could become more spiritual by right thinking. That if you fought well and you were clever enough, you could have an intimate relationship with God. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It's only by Jesus coming and getting involved in the nitty-gritty of life. It's only on the cross that he says, I'll take your alienation. I'll take that separation. I'll take your hostile mind. I'll take those wicked deeds. And I'll take them upon myself. And I will open up my arms on the cross and welcome you as those who made yourselves enemies Once again, I'll welcome you as friends of God. So the first thing Paul says here is that through the cross, enemies become friends. Let's move on to the next slide. The second thing we see here is that through the cross, the guilty become blameless. Through the cross, the guilty become blameless. Why did Jesus go through with the cross? What was the aim of reconciliation? It's not just that we're brought into relationship with God, but here is a description that actually we, um, it's back a slide, if possible, back a slide, thank you, that through the cross, here is this wonderful description that we would be presented as holy, that we would be presented as blameless, without blemish in the sight of God. And that we would be those who are free of all guilt and accusation. The purpose of our reconciliation is that we are holy. And we can get somewhat muddled when we think about our holiness. Theologians talk about positional holiness. But then they also talk about progressive holiness. That Paul often talks about positional holiness. So at the beginning of this letter, he says to the church, he, he greets them as God's holy people. And as to be a saint is to be a holy person. That's all it means. It means holy ones. And we could easily read this as Paul saying that now that you've been reconciled to God, you are made totally perfect and you're blameless and no one can ever accuse you of anything. Well, are you sitting here today? looking at yourself thinking, quite smugly, I am perfect, yeah, that's definitely me, I'm blameless. Of course, that's not where we are. And of course, we're declared righteous the moment we come to Jesus. We're forgiven of all our sins before God. We are blameless. And it's a wonderful thing to know our positional holiness that we're free from accusation. Like, like Corey Ten Boom said, we, we can, what Jesus does is he takes our sin, past, present and future, and he dumps it into the ocean and then he puts a sign saying, no fishing. And when the devil brings his accusations, we can say that who can bring any charge against us It is only God that justifies. 
But what's happening here is Paul is actually is, is, is not primarily talking about positional holiness. He's talking about progressive holiness. So you see the phrase isn't that he says, he has said before he has reconciled you, and then he moves on to the future tense in order to present you. In other words, he's saying Jesus in reconciliation has saved you from the penalty of sin. And now he is committed. It is his absolute priority to save you progressively each day from the ongoing power of sin. That sin wouldn't have to reign in our lives. That we would be transformed day by day. How does it all work? Well, John says uh, in his epistle, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's really important to live a life where we are confessing the struggles, we are confessing our sin before God so that he can change us, so that he can forgive us and actually cleanse us from those things that we're struggling with. And when we often have communion, we may encourage each other to examine our hearts and then we sort of pray before God help me with that struggle but you know confessing before God is one thing there's something else we need to do we need to confess our sins with one another we need to help support one another with ongoing sin in our life as we pursue holiness and I just wonder this morning Perhaps one of the reasons why we struggle to do that is because our relationships with one another can so often be so shallow and so basic that we can be a mile wide in the world that we're living in with our networking and our friendships and our family all over the country. We can be a mile wide, but really an inch deep when it comes to actually knowing people really well, when it comes to people that we would confine in, when it comes to people that we would encourage them and invite them into our lives, to invade our lives and to help us. I was speaking to someone not long ago who was saying that they were talking to their daughter who's struggled with many different things at university. And so they said to their daughter, you know, with some of the things... These are really hard things. Have you spoken to someone about them? And she said, well, I put it on the WhatsApp group. And I mean, I like WhatsApp groups. I'm probably on about 40 or 50 WhatsApp groups. And as I'm sure many, are, many of you are. But we need to go deeper with each other. We can read a really good book. We can listen to a podcast. We can put it on a WhatsApp group. But we need to have deep, intimate relationships with each other. We need to work as really the church being a hospital of people who are in deep need and broken and admit it to each other and take each other to Jesus for his healing and restoration and his change. For the cross, the guilty become blameless. For the cross, those who are positionally holy can expect day by day to become progressively holy. Amen? Amen? Well, let's go on to the last point I want to make from this wonderful description of reconciliation. And it's this. It's a calling for how we're to live our lives now. Paul, uh, through the cross, the unworthy become usable 
for God's glory. Look at verse 23 at the end of it. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And then Paul talks about how he's a servant to this message. And it's so wonderful to know that the man who was giving quite a negative description of these people is not someone who just dishes the dirt on others. But he's the one who called himself what? What did he describe himself as? He described himself as the chief of all sinners. That he knew that he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent man. And yet God made someone who had made himself an enemy of God. God reconciled and made him a friend. And made him clean but then also made him usable for his glory. And it's amazing to know through this that Jesus not only forgives us, not only forgave Paul, but he also entrusts Paul. And that's a very powerful thing as, as you think about it. Think about someone you've had to forgive who's done something really horrible to you and where it's been really hard to forgive them. And maybe you've been able to take that weight off your mind and you have forgiven them. But it's unlikely that you're going to trust them anytime soon. It's unlikely that you're going to give them responsibilities, that you're going to be welcoming them in, welcome them in to your life. But the phenomenal thing with reconciliation is that not only does God bring us back to him, he wants us to be those who are usable to spread this message of reconciliation to others. He not only forgives us and makes us his friends, he now entrusts us with this wonderful gospel. And so, Paul, so Jesus takes Paul and he takes a persecutor and he makes him an ambassador. Maybe we need to have a slightly higher expectation of what God can do through us. Maybe sometimes we look at our own inabilities and so crippled by that, we don't put ourselves forward to be used mightily by God. I really liked some, a, a mantra that someone put on a card when I was being uh, ordained uh, as a Baptist minister. And it just says this, God doesn't call the equipped, but he always equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped, but he always equips the called. I know I've known that in my own life very powerfully because when I was growing up, I was going to a speech therapist till I was about six years old. I barely spoke. When we would have church services and I was dragged along by my parents for many years, at the end of the service, because they were parents that chatted and chatted, I would often go to the toilet and hide there because I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was very shy. I was very apathetic about a lot of things in life. And yet, God has been able to take me. And now and then, hopefully, I can stand up and say something confidently about God's word. It's an absolute transformation of which I want to continue to see in my life. I wonder how the message of reconciliation has equipped you to serve God. You can imagine that as a church, we are really facing challenges with volunteers. Uh, we've got loads of kids and youth that go out, but so often when I've been able to take my own son out, 
it'd be really nice to meet a man. I'd really like to see a guy who doesn't mind working with little kids. Maybe they're out there, but if, if you do exist, please do let me know. But we struggle to get volunteers. We struggle. Uh, we would love to run more groups as a church, marriage enrichment, groups about parenting, groups about your work, groups about getting you serving in the church. But we need people to come forward and say, I'm not too sure if I'm the right person. But maybe we've been given the right materials and the right venue. Maybe I could gather a group and maybe we could do phenomenal things for God. Maybe I could just help a little bit in that area. And if we were all doing that, what impact we would have as a church. We need people to lead and be more involved in the worship team, in leading life groups. We need to be able to be those who, although we're unworthy, are now usable for the glory of God. Just as I'm coming towards a close, been reading a little bit about the story of Nelson Mandela and how he spent 27 years, 10,000 days in prison. And it was all for that conspiracy to overthrow the South African government. And you know, after his release, he said these words, as I finally walked through those gates, I felt, even at age 71, that my life was beginning anew. I believe that is a glimpse of the testimony of all who have been reconciled to God. That we begin life anew. We begin life anew with God and now we seek to please him in all things. We know this truth because we are those that were once his enemies, that now we have become his friends. We are those who were guilty, who now walk blamelessly. And we're those that were unworthy. And now we can be usable for his glory. Amen.